Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. I'm joined once again by Amy Vale, social entrepreneur and the, the founder of sociallyhomes.com. Great to have you on, Amy. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, uh, Amy's been involved in the, uh, the support sector and the housing uh, industry for uh, it must be coming up to 20 years now. Uh, we've, we've done a fantastic uh, profile of Amy's background and I'd encourage you to have a look at the, the back episodes and check it out. Uh, and, and certainly uh, it's an inspiring story. But we've, we're going to be talking about a model scheme within social housing that uh, Amy basically uh, put together on the back of hundreds of previous pilot uh, examples where she'd help people in their housing needs um, uh, across Greater Manchester and uh, and beyond. So, uh, Amy, um, your, uh, just briefly the, uh, the, the background uh, of how you came up with the idea of this model scheme for a social, social housing and, and what, uh, what, what evolved. Yeah, it's actually really exciting to talk about this one because it takes me back some time now. And um, as we discussed in our previous podcast, I've been trialing and testing and researching, investigating new ways of addressing homelessness or uh, issues that are associated with housing instability through housing um, and ensuring that the, the support and the frameworks and the procedures and the policies and the protections are all plugged around each and every housing uh, scheme that's created so that you can have a sustainable and safe solution for, for the end user, which is generally going to be somebody who is vulnerable. So I started um, independently about 10 or 11 years ago now, and um, it was me, a car, sometimes a phone, a laptop, a dream. I was just running around Manchester with very little in terms of resources or assets and trying to find ways of housing people who were sitting in the cardboard boxes on the streets. I was really fortunate to, well, actually not fortunate, I was fortunate to meet a particular person, but the way I met that person was I thought when I entered into property, I'd come from a local uh, authority background, so a, a public sector background, so I knew a lot about 
um, the, the social aspects of housing, but I didn't know really anything about property and business and investment. And so I started going along to the property events, um, listening to podcasts like this, you know, getting involved in the Facebook groups. That's where I think you and I met, Will. Um, Facebook has some great communities for, for property professionals. People are really, really helpful. Um, and so I started to immerse myself in that world and I found myself really welcomed actually because I was a little bit less um, competitive let's say than other people who were operational because I wasn't an investor I wasn't a developer um, I wasn't chasing deals so people were quite happy to help me some of the bigger names people like John Paul, Arshalahi, um, people who you know 10 years ago were doing great things with local housing allowance tenants when um, not very many people were, were even going there so I um, had a quick schooling and I managed to meet, uh, I met a person at a networking event in Manchester who I went on and spent uh, a good few years working really closely with, um, Shiro Runier, he runs a development company now, a wonderful, wonderful man, again, somebody you probably want to get on the podcast, he's got great story. Shiro had this huge portfolio of student property and he was in the process of refurbishing it um, in increments and so a lot of this stock that he had was empty and it wasn't in great condition. And so we met at these networking events and he had, he's very entrepreneurial like myself and he'd had this idea that we could do something with homelessness or social housing, but he had no idea of where to begin and his expertise purely was students. And so we spent a good few, I mean, he really grilled me. I mean, if he's listening now, God, Shiro, he grilled me to, cause he was, you know, taking a huge risk in, in, in even contemplating letting rough sleepers move into these houses as I say we're going back 10 years so you know now it's a little bit it's a little bit more commonly done but 10 years ago you know this was really uh you know pioneering stuff so Shiro was um I you know I credit a lot to him in terms of this is where it all began because he gave me um assets to work with and he trusted me to 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 move people in under my own um kind of thought Person. process yeah, I was able to design my own um, like uh, application processes. We did our own referencing um, stuff because obviously if you credit reference somebody how Shiro did it in his normal office, they would fail. So Shiro and I worked entrepreneurially together for about three or four years and created systems and strategies and frameworks as we moved each and every person into a property we tried to plug support into them and link into local charities or you know we connect with the council and see what what was resources were available there and we try and make sure people got mental health support or they were linked with a food bank so it was because I was I was guaranteeing these tenants. So Shiro wasn't taking a risk on the, the, the tenants. He was taking a risk on me. I was saying, I'll be the guarantor for this person. Um, and it did, you know, it, it did bite me a couple of times. Let me tell me, I, I, let me tell you, I learned a lot. Um, however, over the course of a few years, we moved Shiro and I mainly, but obviously I attracted other landlords in across the time and did more rent to rents and stuff. So we got to a point where we'd housed about, I think about 120 tenants all in all. <laughs> Excuse me. I was making no money, absolutely no and money. What, I was what getting... sort of geographic area uh, was that over? 
So this was actually, and if anybody listens to this now, they'll be like, how did she do this? I was working in South Manchester, which is one of our most, um, you know, highest uh, priced area for property in Manchester. I wasn't working in, I mean, I live in North Manchester in Bury, where it's cheaper. Um, but I was actually working in South Manchester um, in places like Fallowfield, Withington, Charlton. Um, and the reason being, for me at this point, there was everybody was getting interested in HMOs. So, as you know, we've got this massive influx in HMOs. And I actually used to run the, the HMO group with Ash Saberi and Shiro um, and another one of our colleagues, Richard Ignakovich. And everybody started going nuts for HMOs. And so this produced an influx of HMO stock. And in Manchester, we had, I used to just basically drive around all the student properties and look for the empty ones. And I'd get the, the text the landlords and say, your property's empty. I've done a calculation. It's making this much loss. I've got tenants that will move in that will give you this much profit. I'll manage everything. You have a relationship with me. You don't have to worry about the, you know, the, the end game. I'll deal with it. And so I found it very easy to pick up stock in that respect. What I didn't know at this point was how to make it work financially for myself. And so I was making a lot of other people a lot of money. I was solving a lot of problems in a very cost-effective way, but I was nearly bank bankrupt myself because I hadn't quantified my value in, in, in an ability to put a price on it at that point. So <clears throat> what we did was, because Shiro and I had this great system of, he managed the property and I managed the people. That's how we did it. So it worked really, really well. And so we decided, Shiro said, I'm going to invest some money into, got some, some investors' money. Let's create a project, not just one of our crummy old stock that we've got sat there, you know, that, the, the, you know, is spare. Let's build something for this purpose. Let's design something and let's monitor and evaluate the whole way through and, and see if we can come up with a model and a framework and some do's and don'ts even at very least. So we, we created a property in Oldham. Um, we're still really, really proud of this project. I think it was 2015, it went into operation and it was one of the first housing first pilots in the UK. So housing first is a strategy which I am very heavily involved in, was very heavily involved in campaigning for bringing to the UK from America. Um, and it's basically just means give power people that are homeless housing and then support them. Don't try and fix their problems and then give them a house, actually give them the house and then help them fix the problems. So it's, it's just common sense, but we weren't using this model in Britain at this point. And I did a lot of campaigning with my media team to try and, um, and bring and awareness. As context, there's been enormous uh, social change, change in the housing market uh, that, that's leading into this point. So, uh, if yes. you went back 40 years ago, 30% of the stock was in social housing. That's mm -hmm. now 17% of yeah. dwellings. Uh, and, and yet there's there's still 8 million people within social housing. Mm -hmm. There's uh, enormous change in how mental health services are delivered. Yeah. Uh, large numbers of people are shipped out into the community. Uh, the, the structures and the, the processes about how people are uh, are dealt with and housed and how easy that um, that, that yep. uh, goes between hospitals, councils, social mm -hmm. care agencies, other other interested parties. Uh, yep. It's not smooth. It's not simple. And and there's a lot of people left behind. And uh, a, a lot of the uh, the most vulnerable people 
are often the ones most affected. And your your concept of coming up with a model scheme, I think, is a brilliant one. So what what was it um, in terms of the physical property and uh, how, how did you approach it? Yeah, so as I say, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Back then we were using a continuum of care model, which basically meant you're making people jump through hoops before they get a house. And a lot of people couldn't jump through all the hoops you're asking them to jump through. So we tried to, to demonstrate that it was actually far more cost effective. And there was a lot of evidence from America to, 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 to support this that it was, you know, putting people into housing and then supporting them would work better. We started to come around with that way of thinking, you know, over the last five to 10 years. However, the problem was the system, as you quite rightly pointed out, was designed that way for a reason. You can't just give homeless people housing to fix their homelessness because we don't have any housing. And we're still trying to find the balance between housing as a commodity and an asset and a very and a very valuable one and housing as a basic human right. And that's, you know, that's the balance that we're, we're struggling with. So as properties become more, you know, increased in value and become more lucrative as an asset, we're struggling with the fact that everybody has the right to live in a home and so that was kind of the the work that I have, uh, have put some energies into over the years and we felt a good way to, to to kind of spread the message would be practice what we preach and actually let's put it out there and let's let's build something from the ground up and it was a very exciting project to be involved in because we hand-picked a number of residents that we had literally moved out of cardboard boxes in Market Street in Manchester. And that's how I used to find people. I'd just go into Market Street. I'd talk to people, sit on the ground with them. You know, we'd find out, you know, we'd learn about each other. We'd have a brew, a sandwich. I'd spend an hour with them. And if I got a good vibe from them, I thought this person, yeah, I see something in them. They're going to, you know, they'll work with me. They'll engage with me. They'll, they, you know, there's something in them. I'll go with it. That was pretty much my referencing process at this point. So some of the people we'd worked with have been horrendous, let me tell you. We had nightmares. And that's why we evaluated everything, because we didn't want to be, a, a you know, handpicking the best outcomes. We wanted to show, actually, this is the how, you know, this is the realistic picture of, of how this is. So as I can say, we had a lot of disasters and a lot of nightmares, but a lot of people we had great success with. And so we handpicked a group of ladies who had been previously homeless. And it was actually Shiro's idea. And he said, you know, he came into this as a, you know, a landlord that wanted to make money. And by, you know, within a couple of weeks, he's like, oh, I'm running this one to the doctors and I'm helping this one with this. And I think we need to buy them a new couch. And, you know, so he got, he got, you know, he got emotionally attached as everybody does. And he approached me and said, should we build them something? Because I feel like I want to upgrade where they're living. Like, I feel like, because they decorated it themselves. And one of the ladies, she had cancer. She was like in her seventies. It was sad. She'd never been homeless. So they kept, we, we upgraded them and we got them involved. And I can remember Shiro picking them up in his Mercedes one day. And they, they were like, they thought they were, you know, it, they were being chauffeured. It, it was just lovely. And um, they picked, the you know where are we going to put the walls and they helped us massively with things like you know gas and electric i knew from my own experience sorry what, what type of property are we talking about so we, we used it was like an end terrace um it was a you know like one of them corner end terraces almost like a triangular shape so it's a bit of an sure. unusual yeah. one we went back to brick with it 
had the ladies help us Cheryl and I worked in partnership to you know uh, to design as I say he's really on the, the, the property and I'm on the people um we got it engaged with the local council and with the housing first scheme so we got a really nice package of support put around the residents we then um it was converted into six units so it was six kind of like studio flats and then say like little things we learned with this project we took the lounge out of the project because we'd found as I say, we've done 120 units already and we'd found in those units, when we had a lounge, that was a hotbed for conflict. People would sit in there, they'd drink, they'd want to watch something different on the telly, they, you know, so it could become a hotbed for conflict. However, if we made a large kitchen diner area, that became more of a social hub where people would be cooking and they'd be doing an activity and they'd have some kind of like meetings mm -hmm. point. So it was little things like that, removing a communal lounge, but making a great big um, dining kitchen space. And, and that for us had a massive impact on the um, well-being and happiness levels of the residents and how angry, you know, how many angry phone calls we got on a daily basis. So the other thing that we, I remember being very notable from that project was we had a lot of back and forward on the gas and electric and the bills because I remember from when I was living in hostel accommodation at 16, 20 years ago, I chose to eat, be warm or see, basically. Very rarely could I afford to do all of those three things at one time. So when I go into design solutions, I'm always very mindful of the practicalities of living in them day to day. And so with that solution, we, we went back and forward. And what we did, we removed the gas from the property. Um, we metered all of the rooms individually. The landlord paid for communals um, himself. And with the figures, it worked fine for him to do that. But we metered, and as I say, we removed all gas. So they had one bill, one room, one card, one payment, and it just made life easier. It was a, even just a, taking away that, one more thing to think about one more thing to worry about one more bill to put on the list you know and budget for so just little tips like that I find can be really useful with these types of schemes um and this one I mean at this point anyone that's listening now will be probably more so knowledgeable about supported accommodation types of uh you know schemes with with people who are homeless or with social issues back then that that was really not a, a model that was hugely being utilised in the public space. And so, as I say, we were linking in with housing associations and with charities and all the rest of it, but we weren't being paid under exempt housing benefits for that. So these properties were run at local housing allowance rates. Um, these the, They were AST tenancies um, and they worked. They worked financially, they worked practically, they worked, you know, everything about them worked. So um, that's where we, you know, came to in probably around about 2016 was when that came to its conclusion. And from there, I went over to America um, as a fellow of the Churchill Trust um, on behalf of the National Housing Federation to go and have a look at the best of innovation um, and solutions in homelessness housing 
internationally um, and what could we learn from abroad so if we'd created this great model it was in Oldham um, created this great model in Oldham and happy to I've got some videos and stuff which I can share with you for links and pictures and stuff um, but it, you know it came to the point was like wow if you can do this in Oldham what are they doing in New York that could work in you know Tameside what are they doing in, you know, it's Silicon Valley. It costs $2 million to buy an apartment. Well, if they're housing homeless people, I bet they can do it in Rochdale, you know? So we, at that point, as I say, went over to America and started to Americanize uh, the model really. So that, that, uh, uh, you, you came up with the model on the basis of uh, piloting hundreds of placements of, of people who were uh, <laughs> in housing need. Um, you, you, uh, I, I suppose, created a, a base um, which you, you then have have enhanced uh, in the intervening years. And uh, the socially homes concept, uh, which if anyone uh, has not come across it, it's sociallyhomes.com. Um, what what um, I'd love to do, Amy, if it's okay, is to get you on. Uh, to talk about your your latest version of what the model social house looks like. Yeah, I'd love to come back and do that because it's been lovely to reminisce and go back to where we were a few years ago. But in doing so, I think as we chatted in the break, I said it really highlights just how far we've come and how, you know, I thought that was an all, you know, all singing, all dancing, finalised, finished. And and, and in fairness to you, that that initial model uh, became a, a learning resource hub for uh, homeless solutions across the UK, um, and and for for people to uh, I suppose learn from, and, and and it's only got better since then. So so well done. Thank you. And as I say, I've created. Uh, well, as as you were saying, it became a, an open resource hub because the whole point of us undertaking that project was not so that we could just create an amazing house for the ladies that we work with or a great investment for the developer or whatever it was. It was so that we could scale and grow this model, and hopefully, we could see these units cropping up all over the place. And and we are doing now, um, which is wonderful. Um, and that was so, that, that was version one in, uh, in 2016, 2017. So uh, it's only come on in leaps, leaps and bounds. Um, so, yeah. so thanks for coming on once again. Uh, looking Thank forward you. to the, the, the next session. Um, so uh, Amy Val, check her out via sociallyhomes.com. Uh, I'm Will Mallard. This is My Property World Podcast. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.